When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Real GM Radio. I am Daniel, we're your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Sam Vecini of The Athletic, college basketball and NBA draft expert. And so appropriately, we focus on the NBA draft. We talk about the fits of the the top prospects with their new teams and, and move down the board and ha- have a really fun conversation. And then towards the end, we get into Sam's favorite and in some cases, least favorite picks in kind of each range of the draft, because I'm familiar with the top 10. You know, that's about where I got to in my prep. But so getting a little bit of a primer for those of you who follow teams or follow the league in a way that, you know, knowing who's good, who's intriguing in the 30s. And all that is is useful. I love the exercise, and I always, of course, love talking to Sam. Episode runs about an hour 20 and is brought to you by betonline.ag. Use the CLNS50 promo code to tell them you came from us, and you get a 50% welcome bonus. Here's the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Danny, it's good to be here. It is Monday in the United States. It is. And I've taken, you know, a nice little break over the last couple of days. It was, it was nice. Yeah, I was, you know, we, we of course had the conversations about when we were going to do our traditional post-draft podcast. And when you said you were going to take a couple of days off, I just, I was, I was thrilled because I know how, how <laughs> I, I, I read a fair portion of your draft guide. I know, you know, I know you, your work very well and I'm happy that you got to do that. And I'm also happy that, you know, a little bit of time and we're not all the way into the insanity of the off season that kind of just washes over the draft at a certain point in time until summer league then washes back over that. But where I want to start is we had a little bit of a shakeup at the very top. You know, it didn't it didn't seem like the Magic were hyper interested in Paulo Boncaro, and then he goes there, and then Chet still goes two, and Jabari Smith goes three instead of one. What I want to what I wanted to start with, we'll talk about all of them, of course. But now that we have this reshuffled top three, which combination of player and team excites you the most now and moving forward? Yeah, it's a great question. I do still think it's Chet Holmgren to Oklahoma City. First and foremost, I had Chet at number one. I have all these guys in the same tier. They're all razor thin, very close, right? It's so close between the three of them. But I still like Chet. Uh, I still like Chet just a little bit more because I don't know that any of these three guys, like one of the things you and I talk about all the time is scalability, right? Scalability toward winning situations. And I don't know that any of these three guys to me necessarily profile as the number one option on like a conference finals team or anything like that. But I do think that all three of them are interesting. Number twos, number threes, you know, etc. So which of these guys games is most scalable toward winning situations to me it's chad holmgren and it's because he's so good defensively he's such a good shooter he's a good passer he can grab and go he has the most diverse skill set of the three on top of it i think that his defensive like anticipation and skill and talent on that end the way he reads the game on that end is probably the best 
singular skill that any of these guys have. You can point to Paulo Bancaro's intersection of ball handling and size and ability to create mismatches. You can point to Jabari Smith's shooting ability. I think Chet's anticipation and intelligence and IQ and awareness on the defensive end uh, with the intersection of being seven foot tall with a seven foot six wingspan and having the incredible balance that he does. Uh, I think that is the best skill that any player in this draft class has. And then we move to a matter of fit, which is what you actually asked about here, Danny. And the thing about the Thunder is that since they embarked on this rebuilding project, right, since they have decided to move on from Paul George, Russell Westbrook, and build kind of from the studs up, there are a few things that they have prioritized. But from a play style perspective, the first thing is that they love just having five guys on the court that can grab and go right that's why they play guys like isaiah roby at the five or even like darius Baisley at times at the five or they empower someone like al horford to grab and go on the break at times right uh this team really really wants to be able to play five out transition basketball but the thing about that is that finding a center who can actually do that is exceptionally difficult there are probably like five of them in the world essentially that can give you the requisite level of defense that you need to be able to achieve this play style in addition to having the offensive skill to be able to achieve your goals. Chet Holmgren is one of those guys at the end of the day. His ability to grab and go is well known at this point. He can shoot it at a high level. He's one of the best rim protectors uh, that we've seen come through college basketball in a long time. He's super competitive on the inside. I don't know if you're going to like use him as a switch guy necessarily. I don't think he's going to get killed out there, but he's going to be very effective uh, as a defender in the NBA. And that's before we even get to the anticipation stuff I touched on earlier. He is uh, the guy that actualizes everything that Oklahoma City has wanted to build uh, over the course of this little mini rebuild. And having him on your roster is going to make building the rest of the team much easier now. You know, we often talk about on this show when I come on the idea of, look, I, I think you can win with any player. I don't think any player is inherently a losing player or a winning player. I think that some players are just much more difficult to build around than others. And in the case, in, whereas on the other side of that, some players are much more easy to build great teams around than others. Chet Holmgren is one of those guys that makes life so much easier from a team building perspective because he allows you to maybe have a non-shooter out there, you know, at a different position. He allows you to maybe have, you know, someone that, uh, you know, is a bit smaller because he's such a good rebounder. He's such a good finisher at the rim. He, I get that you probably want to play him at the four to start, but I think he's going to be able to play the five eventually. And I think he's going to be a tremendous impact player. The other thing that you can't ignore is none of the other guys at the top of the draft are bad people at all. They're, they're like totally like good people uh, at the top of the draft. Chet Holmgren's professionalism, his competitiveness, his motor. It's not just like, Oh yeah, he ticks the box. It, it's elite of the elite across the board. Like th this is the human being that you trust to get the most out of whatever he has going forward. And we'll see what the frame is moving forward.
I think those are it's a lot it's a lot to chew on, but a lot of good stuff to chew on. And what I'll add to it is there's also this downside that I've been wary of with Holmgren, and you talked about like playing him at power forward at the beginning of like just how all of the different cogs of this are going to work at pr- practically in an NBA front court. But what I like about Holmgren in Oklahoma City is that they have a lot more resources left, and they have the capacity to over this next two, three, four years figure out what other elements are important next to Chet Holmgren and do it. So that is a fundamental difference from the Orlando Magic, who have Wendell Carter. And if you think Chet Holmgren is the best player, I'm zealously at the top of the draft, always best prospect available. If you think he's the best guy, you take him anyway, you figure all that stuff out. However, it gets harder if you have, you know, you've coalesced all that into Carter and John Isaac, maybe, or Franz Wagner. You know, like all those players have different strengths and weaknesses. I I like all of them, actually. But you have to kind of piece everything together with that. Whereas OKC, it's a little bit of a blank canvas in the rest of the front court. And so you take this next year. And you say, okay, Chet Holmgren does X, Y, and Z well. And he, but we probably, to maximize this team over the next couple of years, we need A and B. How can we do that using the draft picks we have, using the financial capacity and matching salary? And that is completely doable. And the other part with Holmgren is I, my inclination, and this might be the you know extreme skinniness versus moderate skinniness kind of thing, is that my general conceit right now, and Holmgren will be probably my new lens for this, is that being more stout will, you know, there are matchups that will be a problem for him. But one way to potentially bridge that gap is through a player who you don't have to have as much equity behind. And so the idea that you have a specialist of sorts. And so it's not you have to, you know, play, you know, you have to pay starter money to the guy who's going to guard Shaq one series a year. Instead, it's have somebody, maybe it's the mid-level exception or even potentially a minimum contract, who, if you get into a big moment against a Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic or Towns, if he kind of gets to that, you know, kind of gets to that level with usage and utilization, and the rest of the time, you're probably going to be okay. You're not going to get demolished by Clint Capella. You're not going to get just housed by a lot of these guys. And so you can do that, and Holmgren's offensive game is a part of why that's palatable, because the times that you have to play him or want to play him next to a burlier player, he shoots well enough that that's not a problem. Yeah, no, I, I, th- I think that's right. I think that he's going to allow – like he's not someone that's going to have a problem staying on the court in the playoffs. I ardently believe that. Uh, we just saw like Maxi Kleba have an incredibly enormous impact for Dallas in the playoffs uh, that belies what his stats were, right? And it's because he allowed the team to go five out on offense while – just having incredible, you know, intrinsic knowledge of how to defend at a high level, uh, especially within Dallas's scheme. So I think that Chet is just going to be a super, super valuable player. Uh, but I think all these guys are good. Like you, you mentioned, you know, the fact that you think all of these guys are good prospects. I completely agree. Like, I don't like pitting them against one another. I, I actually just really thoroughly enjoy like watching all three of these guys. Paulo's ability to intersect like his balance and his power and uh, his craft as a ball handler that he's improved so much and his intelligence like it's impressive stuff man like I I worry a little bit about what he is defensively but he's super he's a super super impressive player and then Jabari Smith I think is like the best six foot ten or taller shooter I've ever seen and he also defends at a super high level it is 
hard to find guys like this. It is really, really hard to find guys like this. And, well, and, and I'll, I'll tie yeah. it together as well, which I'm, you know, I'm, certainly there is a financial limitation for, you know, Jabari Smith lost money in this going from number one to number three. Granted, it's like a lot of other things where it's not, it, it's not reality until it's reality. So like it was what was expected, but it isn't, it never happened. But I think that from their perspective, so you think about, I brought up that fit idea. And so Boncaro, instead of going to Houston, goes to a place that needs supplemental playmaking. And if Boncaro lives up to it, primary playmaking, he can do that. I was probably too hot. Well, definitely at this moment, too high on Jalen Suggs, specifically in that part of it. I thought that he, you know, I wondered about yeah. that. And then Cole Anthony could still get there. You know, maybe Markel Fultz, D. Yips. And, and can can hit it or the magic they potentially have the ability to get that player in the future i don't know who that would be in a future draft or you could trade for them whatever but Boncaro gives them some more flexibility gives them some more outs whereas having jabari smith in that role i don't love jabari as an advantage creator or like a an advantage creator for himself or for others but i do really like him as a play finisher and so yep. not that Jalen green you know the, in some ways the the rockets and the, the Magic are in the same place here where they still need that creator. But be- especially because of Smith's defense, I think that it kind of fits it, it fits together in a more cogent way for each of these two teams with how it worked out. Inevitably, one of the two well, will end up being a superior player. Other things will develop around them. But if, you know, like I would rather roll these dice than the opposite. Well, and with Jabari, it's interesting. Does any of the Jabari conversation remind you at all of the Jason Tatum conversation? Yes. From that draft, from the it, 2017 draft? It does. Where, and I, I think that there, Tatum to me had better feel. And, you know, I was intrigued yes. by him even going back to high school. Like that was, I, I was struck more by that. Like I think of, from what I've seen, and I don't remember him super duper well at Arizona, it's more in the like Aaron Gordon. He has the tools to do more, but does he really like, has he really done that? And Jabari Smith is a willing passer. Like, I think that's, that's there, but the, yeah. does he see things before they happen? I think of him more as a better reactor than a proactive player at this point in time. Yeah. But as you're getting it's, at with Tatum, yeah. Yeah. That is not that is not a guarantee that Jabari Smith will not ever improve in those areas. And yeah, he, like he that gets- was that was such a big thing with Jason coming out was like he was not a good passer. You know, he was this guy who's just a mid range gunner who was not a good passer. Who you know, I, I think that Jabari or is or, J- or Jalen Brown like. People and yeah. I give Nate a lot of credit. Nate believes in his ball skills, but I don't think Nate thought of him as a good passer, and he's improved significantly through hard work. Totally, and I think Jabari Smith is different. Like Jabari, like Jason Tatum has always had an incredible bag of tricks off the bounce, like very creative footwork, very creative uh, ability to get to the rim. Jabari's is almost weirdly more, and again, it's like different from this guy too, because Kawhi is like six foot seven and is a bully who just like powers his way to his spots but like it it almost reminds me more of that where he can just like kind of get to his spots and then shoot over the top right like that's his uh superpower is just the ability to shoot over the top and on top of it he can really realign in midair 
for someone that is that big. Like he can create his shot. He can have like left foot forward, right foot back. You know, the thing that I've pointed out is I love his like left hand pound dribble move into like a backspin uh, turnaround jumper where he takes off with his left foot in front of his right foot and then like spins and realigns in midair in order to get the alignment he needs to be able to knock down a shot. It's basically unguardable, right? For Jabari Smith, because it's just way too hard to contest a shot from someone with a high release point that's six foot ten. Uh I, I think that like he's his own guy and like I keep picking and choosing things from the best players like in the NBA, right? And I think that on some level that's like an unfair expectation for the player. But he has little pieces of different things that are there. And the thing is that, you know, Jason Tatum, Kawhi Leonard, all of these guys, uh, Jalen Brown, all of these guys improved drastically from the time they were drafted from the time that they're 24, right? Will Jabari Smith do that? I don't know. I mean, like, I, I know what people say about the kid. He's a great worker. Um, everyone loves being around him when he's in the gym. Like, he's uh, all, all of the boxes get ticked there. Like, he's he's a positive presence for sure. So I, I think that, like, there was this weird rush to underrate some of the things that Jabari can do, especially given that he's an 18-year-old who is this, you know, incredible shooter who can create his own shot and can shoot over the top of anybody um, basically at any given time, it's, it's different than the guys I just mentioned, but it is also weirdly similar in some way too. The other part of the Jabari Smith equation for the Rockets is that he's adept defensively. I I, I think that the idea that he's going to be an ace, probably a little bit overstated, but that he can be a more than competent cog within a good machine. Yeah, absolutely. And the Rockets, we don't know for sure. You know, I like Shingun. I don't know that he is their center of the future, but again, they can go in other directions. But between Jabari Smith and Tari Eason, you now have a place that you can kind of build an ele- elements of your defensive foundation. And if those guys are good enough to be a part of your long term planning, then great. Then then you've got well, you've got some you've got some building blocks on the defensive end as well. Well, and the other thing that Jabari does is he allows you to let Alperin Shangun grow. Sure. I think like Alper and Shingun is a very talented player. He's also a player that has very real flaws on the defensive end right now. Uh, I, I have some, I think he's incredibly gifted as an offensive player. And I think his upside is extremely, extremely high on that end. Uh, I really have worries about whether or not he can stay on a court in an NBA playoff series based off of what we saw last year. But what drafting Jabari Smith does and what drafting Tari Eason does is it gives you every ability to find out what Alperin Shangun can be uh, or how you can formulate lineups around Alperin Shangun that work and that allow you to get the most out of what his offensive skill set brings to the table. And I think that's really, really important as well. On that front, there is also, it's so important to remember that you're building a lot of contingencies in all of this. And so what you, with Jabari Smith or Bancaro, and what that means is so there is a distinct possibility that Shangun is not an NBA starting caliber player eventually, or that he is, but he does, has different strengths and weaknesses. But Smith gives you some flexibility, kind of some, some versatility that could work well there with Shangun, or if you end up needing somebody else, you could do it. Another fun ripple for me of the way things turned out 
is I have not yet really started my film. I've only done the basic YouTube obsession, which for me with a foreign-born big man is pretty common, with Victor Wembanyama. And I think that should should this year go the way that many expect. I like that Wembanyama, I mean, and there's a distinct chance that he is so good that it doesn't the rest of this doesn't matter. But I think he there's kind of a slot open for him on a lot of the teams that I expect to be the worst in the league next year. So depending on how the lottery turns out, if the Rockets win the lottery, Jabari Smith next to Wembenyama, sure, sign me up. Chet, sure, sign me up. Boncaro, I mean, then Wendell Carter's getting lost in the shuffle a little bit. That's okay. And other teams that could fall in, like, as much as center is a position that has fallen in hard times just because the league doesn't value it as much— this draft having three guys who you can argue are natural fours, and then you think about kind of some of the other teams that could potentially be in that mix, like theoretically the Pistons, even though they got Jalen Duran, like that is such a fun wrinkle that there's no one that I see as like, you know, kind of having the best lottery odds, knowing what we know right now, that would cause a real problem. And I mean, honestly, like this goes back to your idea too about you just take the best guy at sure. the end of the day. You do. <laughs> I mean, look, like, here's the thing. I, I think that the injury stuff around Victor Wimbanyama has gone 5% undervalued here. I mean, he's gotten hurt quite a bit thus far in, in ways that are mostly not, like, long-term concerning, right? Uh, like, they aren't – like, he had, I think, a stress fracture at one point, which, you know, could be concerning. But, you know, I'm pulling up the list now, like – you know, he missed the end of this season with a muscle injury that was, you know, undisclosed. Basically, he had a bone bruise earlier this year to a shoulder that like forced him out for, you know, a month or so. Um, had a finger injury that caused him to miss a couple of weeks. He missed time with that stress fracture in late 2020 and early 2021. Like, I, I think that talent wise, Victor Wembanyama is by far like the most interesting player coming up in the 2023 draft and easily would have gone first overall this year. And, you know, we can, which, which by the know. way, I didn't realize until very recently, he missed by four days. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like it's very, very close. Um, but it, it is, you know, like I, I think that like we need to see how this year plays out with Victor. Like if he gets hurt again, I, I'm not, you know, like I, I hope he doesn't like, I really hope he stays healthy. I just like want to make sure people go into this with like maybe 5% more open eyes. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's, what that's totally fair. Injury history has been like when he's healthy. I mean, it's like watching fucking Rudy Gobert shoot step back jumpers. Like he is seven foot two with a seven foot nine wingspan. And he is like has incredible balance and can do, um, you know, can guard in space a little bit in Europe and can, uh, you know, actually make like pretty reasonable passing passing reads from time to time. He can handle the ball. Like it's, what he is capable of is absolutely unbelievable, yeah. but I, I just want people to know that, you know, it's, you know, there's like 10% you have I, to watch for here. I will say this, you know, how obsessive I am that I, I don't try to watch guys during the season. I don't, you know, the, the high end prospects, I try not to read anything about them. When Binyama might be somebody that I just do it throughout just because I'm just so interested in watching him play. I yeah. haven't decided, I haven't decided that yet, but it just might be a journey I want to go on. And that'll happen periodically with a player. Or if it's somebody that I know I can't avoid it, like let's say it's a year I know I'm going to watch a lot of UCLA, then if they have guys like that. But Wembenyama might be there. But let's keep that fit train moving. And I, th I, I brought up that point with the top three, but it really does extend a little bit further in the draft. And 
I I'll go next to Ivy. We'll talk. We could talk about Keegan Murray as well. But Jaden Ivy on the Kings, I didn't necessarily see how it was going to work. There, there's point. Uh, Caleb Cooper and I talked about this a little bit that with Sabonis, parts of it might have worked really well. But as a just broad conceptual thing. Ivy Ivy going to the Pistons is a really good thing for Jaden Ivy because what they need from him and what he should be able to do early on mesh up pretty damn well. I haven't asked Caitlin this. Did Caitlin want Jaden uh, in Indiana like I did? She was less enthusiastic about it than I than than that. I, I think she was intrigued by the fit of Keegan Murray just with how everything how everything could have worked out. But no, she didn't seem. I I I think. I'm trying to remember the exact answer. Some people will have listened to the podcast more recently than I recorded it. But yeah. I I will say I don't think she was willing to give up what it would take to get to four. Yeah, I, I I was like all in on it. Like I would have absolutely unequivocally done it. I get her point, though. Like I, I, I do. And Caitlin, I think, is generally smarter than I am. So I tend to uh, just believe what she's saying most of the time and take it as gospel. And I think everyone else should as well. Um, I love the fit of Jaden and Cade as well for similar reasons why I love the Pacers idea of Tyrese and Cade. Uh, I think that Jaden will be immensely benefited by playing with someone that is a very high level shot creator. That is a very high level processor of the game who moves the ball along quickly uh, and playing in an offense that uh, will largely the ball will be in the hands of another guy in the half court. And part of the reason for that is that Jaden, I think is exceptional at attacking off of like second sides, right? Um, Purdue played it, played him off the ball a little bit, you know, obviously very post oriented offense, but what I'm envisioning is just this idea of like, okay, Cade brings the ball up, runs primary action, collapses the defense a bit, reverses it to the second side of the court where Jaden's sitting on the wing. I mean, or kicks it out. It's going to be fucking impossible to guard that guy. Attack, like when he's ready to get downhill off of a closeout. Like he, you just can't stay in front of him. He's so fast. Like his first step there, in college, there are times where there are good defenders like Ohio State's Jamari Wheeler. Like he, they'll be in good guarding position at the point of attack they will be defending him the way that their coach has decided to defend Jaden and he'll just run right around them like he will just run around them forget even first like a move like a setup move a counter he will just go no I'm just gonna blow by you at this point point." and if he gets any sort of advantage in the open spaces that the NBA creates it's curtains he is so good as a downhill athlete that it is unbelievable um, and, and out in transition obviously I think Detroit needed another weapon out in transition to you know just kind of make up for you know they, they don't want to have to play slow down, knock down, drag him out basketball all the time with Cade and with Sadiq Bey, who's not a great athlete, Isaiah Stewart, not a great athlete. Now they have Jalen uh, Duran, who's a great athlete for a center, but you know, still, you know, six foot 11 guy with a 250 pound frame. Like, well, and, and on that front, Jaden's going to push the tempo is my point. Yeah, exactly. And really going to help in that regard. For sure. And what I was thinking about there, I brought this point up a few weeks ago in terms of the Mavericks and Luca, love him to death. It appears even without Rick Carlisle that an element of him offensively is that he doesn't really push the ball down the other team's throat. And he's a yeah. great player without it. Cunningham, 
The Pistons played it basically the same proportion of their half-court possessions with and without him, but pairing Cunningham with somebody who simultaneously has the burst to do that transition effort, but also with a smaller role relative to what he had at Purdue, could really have some enthusiasm for it. Could work out really well, where if you're Jalen Duran or Power Forward X, and you grab the rebound, whether he's streaking out or whether you're just looking, maybe you look for Jaden Ivey first in some of those circumstances. Cade can take a little bit of that off, and you you push it, and, and you have to calibrate with Ivey that if a good shot isn't there, you just don't take it. But he's a smart enough player. I'm not particularly concerned about that. He did get tunnel vision at some times, but generally not too bad. And then if you need to get back into the Cade weak side, second side action, all that type of stuff, you can do it. And I brought up that it would be a dream for Dallas to have a player like that. Still true. And maybe Ivy can do that. So you're you're thinking about the offense as a as a cohesive whole that has these different constituent elements. And one of them could be Ivy field transition at certain times. Yeah. Also, while we're talking here, O'Neill Cruz just hit a 110 mile an hour home run. Uh, for the Pirates. And do you know who O'Neill Cruz is yet, Danny? No. He is a six foot seven shortstop for the Pirates. Oh, yeah. They're playing, the Pirates are the team that's playing like a tall shortstop and a short first baseman, right? Yeah, it's amazing. It's the best. Um, but O'Neill Cruz is a six foot seven shortstop who has like five of the hardest hit balls in Major League Baseball this year. He just had an absolute like fucking seed off of this guy for the nationals that just went 400 feet uh this is these are the things i care about now that i am uh out of draft world and it's beautiful and it's lovely and i'm so excited um i want to transition to something though about the pistons as well uh jalen duran what, what do you think of jalen duran did you guys get a chance to watch tape on him we did not and it was unfortunate. I, I liked some of it because I saw Duran. I watched the game live. I didn't watch it for scouting when they played Gonzaga. And yeah. I thought that Duran, he did really impress me in some of those moments. I He is one of the players I will most intently watch during Summer League. But I, I have liked what I've seen so far, but I haven't seen enough to make any definitive pronouncements. So regardless of what you think of Jalen Duran, it's very clear the Pistons had a very high grade on him, right? I, yeah. I think that they had him... Uh, it, I, Look, I don't know this. Like this, this does not come from inside info. Like it comes from, I mean, it comes from talking to people. Let's say so. There is like a number of things, but I haven't confirmed this. Like, don't aggregate this, aggregators, right? Um, I, I would venture that they had him below the top three. They had him below Keegan Murray and Ben Matherin, and that was it, basically, or the top four: Keegan Murray and Ben Matherin, and that's it. Um, so essentially, what the Pistons did was what was the talk of what they wanted in the Jeremy grant deal the talk was they wanted the number seven overall pick right the detroit pistons or the portland trailblazers had no interest in that right like they just didn't want them they just didn't want to do that deal and they shouldn't have wanted to do that deal i don't think jeremy grant is worth the number seven overall pick but by essentially acquiring that pick from portland and then rerouting that 2025 20, bucks pick they acquired from portland to new york the Pistons basically went out and acquired the same guy that they would have taken at number seven, I would guess, in Jalen Duran, with the same asset that they got in the deal for Jeremy Grant. Plus, they picked up pick capital. Uh, you know, they moved up from 46 to 36. They got a couple other second round picks. And all they had to do was take on Kemba Walker in this move. Can, can like, can we just like note how good this was from Troy Weaver? 
like the difference between pick number seven and pick number 13, right? Which is what they got here. It is only a different pick. If you're going to take a different player, essentially, I think this was a real like masterful move here from Troy Weaver. Like I I had Jalen Duren at 13. I had him more in the vein of where they took him here. But even if you don't have quite the same grade on Jalen Duren as, you know, what Troy Weaver did at the end of the day, he absolutely maneuvered around to get the player that was highest on his board, which at the end of the day, I think that's all you can do. You trust your scouting eye, you trust your evaluations and you maneuver around the board in a way to acquire the players you want using the assets that you want. I think this was absolutely outstanding from Troy Weaver uh, on draft night at the end of the day. They did a great job. There's also a benefit when we're talking about center-only players of getting them a little bit later. And not only is that in this circumstance, and I don't think this is the primary consideration, the number seven pick makes about two million more per season than the number 13 pick. But also just that yeah. it's a little less it's a little less equity tied into a center. I hope that Jalen Duran works, but there's a chance it doesn't. And so you, it, it seems a little bit more palatable, a little bit more tolerable there. And betting on your board, as you said, is is so extremely important. And it coming at such a small relative asset cost is a really good piece of work for Weaver and for the Pistons. I, my, my hope is that it works out. That allows us to talk about, we'll go to some of the other guys drafted earlier, but you and I have not discussed Shaden Sharp yet. Yeah, and let's do it. I, so, you know, you had helped direct me to what, what footage to watch and I watched some of those games and also, of course, some Unsorted and a bunch of other things. And I really liked Sharp. I ended up putting him above Jaden Ivey for my fourth spot, which is a little higher than you had him. And the argument, I mean, those guys were all close, like same tier for me with him and Keegan Murray and and Jaden. But what intrigued me most about Sharp is how his game kind of fits in with an NBA offense. So the jump shot to me looks looks very good, but also he has great bounce and some nice defensive tools for a guy as young as he is. You know, like a lot of times you're evaluating an 18-year-old, and I mean, I know Sharp is 19 now, but he was 18 with the footage that I saw. You're evaluating them more on tools just because most guys don't apply themselves at that age defensively. That's just the way these things work. And so with Sharp, yeah. he like he had this one play, I, I talked to Caitlin Cooper about this, that blew my mind, where he got closed off by elevator doors. And I, first of all, it's fun to see that in like a peach jam setting, but they, he spun off and then blocked the three. And I don't believe I've ever seen that before. And sure, <laughs> this is going, this is high school guys playing high school guys. It's just like, yeah. wait, what? Like, that's that's not the solution here. That's not, you know, that's, that's basically just like saying, oh, I, I don't need to solve the problem this way. I'm just going to do my own thing. And it was incredible. And Sharp doesn't, you know, his defensive instincts aren't necessarily always there. But he had a couple of really nice plays. And his jump shot looks good, and I, the connective tissue there. So I wasn't as high as Nate, who had him number one overall on his entire board, which was, was not where I did it. Wait, I'm sorry. What now? Yeah, he did, which I was I was very, very surprised. Um, and he, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll know a lot more in about two weeks. But with Sharp, the idea, part of why I had him, like, in the same tier, but a little bit above Ivy, is Ivy has the question with the jump shot. Sharp has it with kind of the self-creation, some of that game, like, if we're evaluating on NBA level. And my thought was, if you kind of, the we talked about, like, improvement a little bit earlier, you have to price in not only the likelihood of success, but also what are they if they don't get all the way there. And I think that Sharp, to me, 
there is a place for him in the NBA, even if he doesn't get all the way to where I'd love for yeah. him to get. And so that is beneficial for teams that are willing to take the time and potentially could lead to him having it. So I, I thought that the Blazers getting him at seven was a, was very fortunate for them. Yeah, no. So undeniably, Shaden Sharp has real incredible high level upside if things go right for him. I, I I think that he is a phenomenal potential step back shooter. Uh, he is a terrific asset out in transition. And look, I, I think that your point about what is it if it doesn't go well, right? I think that if it doesn't go well, he is probably something approximating Terrence Ross, right? Like uh, something. I, like I'd that. say t- Terrence Ross, who's better at defense. Interesting. Okay, I, I'm a little bit less sold on his weirdly on ball defense and, and like, yeah, i'm thinking like i'm thinking i mean he's a two guard he's probably going to be more off ball than on ball i agree with you the on the on ball stuff was a little bit wonky at times yeah and i, I think that part of it is that i actually don't love his first step same i, I think hey, that, that that's why i had him in second tier not first tier was i didn't think he had a great first step or a great shake yeah i don't think he has phenomenal shake i think he has good footwork and good balance getting back to his step back i don't think he has great just overall shake as a ball handler I think that I worry just a little bit about what it looks like separating. Like, I think that the line between Anthony Edwards and Terrence Ross is thinner. And we've talked about this before. Like it's thinner than what people think it is. Right. Um, You know, Anthony Edwards is going to be an all NBA player and Terrence Ross is going to be, you know, a career sixth man who probably tops out what finishing like fifth in sixth man of the year voting. Right. So like it's, it's hard. So the things I like about Shaden are obviously the explosiveness as an athlete, obviously his balance, his ability to get to a step back. I like that he can get to a step back already as a teenager going to his right and to his left. And I think he can make them in both situations. Uh, I'm a little bit lower on the defense than I think you are. Uh, I saw a lot of disinterest and he has some good instinctual stuff. Like you mentioned that elevator doors play. He made, you know, a few pretty high level rotations to block shots. I thought over the course of his, you know, AAU career, high school career, uh, I worry a little bit about what it looks like on the ball. And I worry about him separating in the half court against good defenders that will make him. I worry about the same things. Yeah. And if that's the case, I do think that Jaden Ivey is going to have an easier time separating. Uh, I think that, yeah, it's hard. I mean, like part of me regrets having him below Keegan Murray on my board. Um, I'd Keegan at eight, like him versus Dyson Daniels is interesting to me because they're just so drastically different. And again, it like refers to scalability on some level. Right. Um, and I, I had Sohan ahead of him as well. I'm just like fucking all in on Jeremy Sohan at this point, And we can talk about him later. Um, yeah, I, I ended up with Shaden at nine. Cause I think I'm a little bit lower on the athletic tools. I do think that his deceleration is very impressive. Um, like his ability to stop, maintain balance, and then restart. The restart isn't great. Like his ability to stop, pull up, shoot, and elevate in the shot, I think is impressive. I think that where he loses me maybe a little bit is in the ability to restart after decelerating. And I worry about how that looks in terms of like him getting to the rim and like drawing fouls and everything. I'm like, I don't know. I, I just have a lot of 
I have a lot of concerns, I guess, in terms of the way that the entire thing works. And on top of it, like we've just never seen him in terms of a role that is scalable in any way beyond being a star. Uh, he needs to have the ball in his hands uh, or he doesn't need to. But the only sample we've seen is with him with the ball in his hands thus far. And I don't know how he moves off the ball. I don't know how he um, like reads and reacts and processes the game because you know, he is always the one that has been dictating things, right? So it's compl- I think it's very complicated. I think it's very, very complicated with Shaden. Um, very, very if you want to have him at four, I'll be honest, I, I think one is like kind of fucking crazy. But I think that like if you have him at, you know, three or four, I would get it a little bit more. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm intrigued. Yeah, and it's also and I, I in some that, ways like, for me, it's real. And also for some way for me, that's also a statement about kind of I think I'm a little lower on Ivy and Keegan Murray than somewhere where for me they're they're yeah. good complementary pieces that I don't see as having like superstar potential and that's yeah that's a I'm good that's that. a good place like, to be and so but it's yeah. it, but so then you have you have somebody in there who might have a who might have different juice on ball but also kind of has some of these other pieces and you're right about the you know we haven't really seen that catch and shoot jump shot I mean the mechanics and the few the few that we got to see were totally fine like it wasn't like I actually Benedict Matherin has better there but I don't I just didn't like the on ball game yeah. quite as much for for Ben Matherin so I you know I I totally see that and I don't want to put too much heat on summer league in preseason but I feel like I will have just because the sample size for Shaden Sharp assuming hopefully he can be healthy for those times is going to be actually relatively equal to what we've seen from him that last year of EYBL like the we are building the data set more with him than most players this time. Now we we have had other ones like whether it was Ennis Canner who did play in college or James Wiseman who had his various issues where he only played a, a teeny bit. Like it is a different circumstance, but you know, I liked what I saw. That's all you can really work with there. Plenty more with San Vicini, but first a message from Bet Online. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including Major League Baseball scores, all the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures. Bet Online is your continued source for all your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. So head to the website. Or use your mobile device to sign up today and use the promo code CLNS50 to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that promo code is CLNS50. You get a 50% welcome bonus. Tell them you came from us. So use that to get in on the action using that welcome bonus at BetOnline, where the game starts. Oh, let's let's go to Ben Matherin for a second. I talked about him extensively with Caitlin on a podcast just a couple days ago. What she and I talked about, but what I wanted to ask you is, do you see an overlap between Matherin and Chris Duarte, who the same front office took a year ago? Um, To an extent, but not enough that I care about passing on Matherin either, given that Chris is already like our age. Um, <laughs> well, and if you think if you think Ben Matherin is the is the best player, I mean, especially at, uh, you know, picking the top 10, just take him. Yeah, I kind of think that for some reason, people on the Internet like way undervalued how young Ben Matherin is like he is like under a year younger than Dyson Daniels. He's like right around Chet Holmgren's age. 
age. I think that there's like a month difference between them. Um, he is, uh, I think, under a year younger than Shaden Sharp. He's young. Like He's a young dude. And I think that given how productive he's been already while maintaining that youth, I think that we're like underestimating what the upside is here with Ben Matherin, especially given the developmental like track record that Ben has had at this point. Like he, you know, grew up in Montreal where it's not exactly like a basketball haven. Right. And then had to move down to an entirely new country uh, to attend the NBA Academy in Mexico city. And then had to move to another entirely new country uh, in Arizona to, you know, play college basketball for two years. And, you know, the, the thing that I kept getting told more and more while discussing Ben with people is like, he continues to mature and like grow and, um, get more and more used to living like in the spotlight and, um, learning like professional habits and things that he has. Uh, like he was great with that stuff this year at Arizona from what I gather. And I really think that we're underestimating how powerful he is athletically and like his ability. Like, I don't know if he's going to ever be able to take like on balls necessarily at a super, super high level, but I wouldn't rule it out. Like uh, based off of what we've seen so far, like he can attack off the dribble with a few dribbles. He can stop and, you know, take that little floater. He can stop and make reasonable kickouts. Uh, he can stop and make little dump off passes, throw lobs to Christian Coloco and guys in the dunker spot. Right. So like, you know, over the course of the last like few months of the year in pac 12 play, he averaged like 20.6 rebounds, three assists per game. Like he, he is, he's a really good player. And I wonder if we're drastically underestimating what his upside is, given what he did as a teenager this year at Arizona. I think he is. Um, and on top of it, like you, you hear people um, that were at his workouts, like pre-draft, they will tell you he was just out there absolutely obliterating people and, and like trying to and like absolutely like talking every single time that he obliterated someone like it, it was it was apparently a sight to behold pre-draft watching Ben Matherin play. And like, look, I'm someone who doesn't put a ton of stock into pre-draft workouts, but on the same token, like when you hear that guys just step in there and play at such a ridiculously high level compared to their competition and then let them know about it and they do it with confidence and they do it with like such uh, aggression. I don't know, like that stuff. Those are the kind of guys I want to bet on, I guess. They are. And it, the context is important with Matherin that he's kind of getting into this. I mean, you could even go with the the shift in role from his freshman year to his sophomore year at Arizona, you know, like getting higher users going to be Pac-12 player of the year. And the workout stuff I find compelling because my biggest criticism of Matherin is that despite having a lot of things that I loved, including the balance on his jump shot and the good vertical athlete, so he can, and he applies that to his jumper as well, is that I thought, despite being the conference player of the year, he you didn't feel him possession by possession as much on either end of the floor as I kind of wanted. And so if he's doing that in workouts, but that is more of a personal intensity thing rather than a physical capability thing. And so if he's bringing that, maybe it was something that needed to, you know, it's a it's a different muscle that needed to be flexed. And, you, and if, especially because he came up a different way, maybe he didn't really kind of piece, he hadn't pieced all of that together. That would go a long way towards assuaging one of my bigger concerns. 
Yeah, and look, like let, let's just call it what it was, like particularly on defense, right? Like Ben was not a second and third effort guy no. on defense this year. And right? his first like, effort wasn't even that good. Not always. Yeah. It was it was questionable a good amount of the time. Um he has to improve that. Like he has to be willing to like find that gear where he's locked in all the time on defense and fights and scratches and claws and does everything that he needs to uh on that end of the court. I, I think he has enough athletic tools to do it. There were times the flashes of him being able to fight through screens, flashes of him being able to do quite a few different things. But I mean, it's, it's hard. Like it's, you know, maybe he's just a guy who doesn't really want to defend. Uh, he, he's going to have to learn it though. I, I think that he has all the tools to be a great defender. I have hopes that Rick Carlisle can bring it out of him for sure. Um, he, I think he should play immediately. Like he'll be athletically shooting. Like he'll, he'll stack up immediately. I think at the NBA level, he just has to defend and be willing to fight and scratch and claw on defense. We won't be able to go pick by pick through the rest of it. Also, you've done excellent work in other places. But so I wanted to kind of you we've gone through almost everybody that I was able to scout personally. What other players picks you can go wherever on the board you want from seven from eight to because we didn't talk about Dyson, who I did scout eight to 58. What what stood out in a positive way? Who fell for the, like, wh- where do you want to go next of like your biggest story after the top few picks? Um, where do I want to go? Biggest story after the top few picks. Uh, so a funny thing just happened uh, as we're talking here. So, uh, so I'm using a new laptop, right? And all of my old files for my old laptop just popped up on my screen. <laughs> uh, thousands upon thousands of files, some for some reason, just popped up on my screen. Um, Going to have to manage that momentarily. That's why I'm a little bit thrown off. Uh, no, I, I would like to ask you what guys impressed you during the pre-draft process. Like what guys that you evaluated were you like, oh, like this, this guy is way underrated. This guy's way overrated. I really like Sharp. We already talked about that at, at some length. I think he yeah. is, he's probably the player in the positive realm that I was, the, that I diverged the most. In the negative, probably Dyson Daniels. And I thought originally that he was going to be my kryptonite. I, you know, going back to Sean Livingston and numerous other guys, you know, taller players who have pretty good feel and can handle the ball. That's always been something that I've had to steal myself against overrating. But with Daniels, <laughs> with Daniels, I I didn't quite see all of the connective tissue. If we're thre- doing the threshold of being like a high end NBA starter, if it's to be a complimentary piece, yes, absolutely. And a part of me is absolutely terrified that he ended up in the exact right situation. So like, even if my evaluation is quote unquote right that the jump shot moves along enough, you know, he had fifty three percent true shooting, twenty seven percent on uh, on th- a couple of threes per game, like those sorts of things. Like, if. Fred Vinson can work his magic like he has with Herb Jones and numerous others. But the bigger kind of concern for me, and Daniels, I saw him, I saw him in person a couple times too because they played the Santa Cruz Warriors and at Chase Center, and so it's not yep. too far from where I live, and so I was able to go. And Daniels, so I talked about the kind of that archetype that I have often fallen in love with, and he has really good feel, but I didn't see, and, and his effort level is good and, and all that, but I didn't see a lot of shake from Daniels and also defensively I think some of his instincts are good but he got screened pretty easily he 
he did a, a few plays where like he just kind of he was a little bit a little bit late or just, you know that sort of thing so it's like the idea that he could be a good player and potentially be somebody who's more valuable than the stat line indicates 100% on board and having him the lowest of any of the guys I scouted is not an indictment because I only did I think it was eight and I liked a lot of the other ones we'll talk about one of the other others in a second so Daniels was probably the guy he was the guy I was lowest on relative to consensus well, yeah, when I, when I watch Dyson, I, I don't disagree with a lot of that, to be honest. Um, I, I think I value the skill set a little bit more, which is why I ended up with him at number seven. Um, but it was almost like watching, look, you went to UCLA, you watched the Lonzo Ball year sure. extensively, right? It was almost like watching Lonzo Ball if he had been like confined and like had the skill set of a typical like Villanova guard. You know what I mean? Like he's like constantly making the right decision. He's driving to a jump stop. He's playing pretty square. He's playing pretty on balance, like yeah, trying I, to get to that jump stop floater game all the time. I, I, like, I, I think head manning, passing the ball like it's so I, I think all that's fair. It's a lot of that. But I think. There are two different things that wrinkles that gave me concern with Daniels on that kind of within that vein, which I think there's a lot of truth to that. One is, are you going to guard him when he doesn't have the ball? And that's going to depend on where this jump shot yeah. goes, especially can shoot. And second one is, is he good enough on ball that all of that stuff actually works? And that was the, you know, like, so the guy that I'll defer to, and they're not the same physical build is Killian Hayes. And like Killian Hayes to me, I didn't think that he was going to lose players that often and still has a long time to go. I'm not going to write off somebody in their early 20s ever. But that was, you know, that was part of why I didn't I didn't fully trust his offensive game. There's a little bit of that in Dyson Daniels, too, where it's like if I don't have a theory of the case like I do for Jaden Ivey, if where I where I can see it kind of working, I just I just mentally downgrade them a little bit because I think there might be something else that I'm kind of not articulating in my analysis that I see. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think the difference between Dyson and Killian is that Dyson is more amenable to playing off the ball, whereas Killian was more of like a dribble the ball around 45 times and then try to make something happen um, and didn't really work all that well off the ball. Dyson is constantly trying to move the ball. Like, I think that the difference between those two is processing speed, right? Um, like, for instance, like I just, you know, as I just referred to a minute ago, I bought this new Mac, right? It has like an M1 Pro chip processor. That processor is faster than my old Mac, which had like an i7 core or whatever. Killian Hayes is like the i7 core, whereas Dyson Daniels is like the M1 Pro chip. Yeah, that's right? fair. And, In and, terms of just the speed with which he sees things happen on the court and then like headmans the ball or whips a quick pass reversal like up the wing or like the touch passes and like all of that stuff to me you know what i mean yeah and you combine that with better positional size you know because he you know dyson daniels doesn't need to guard point guards at all you can, can play him if if you can get to either the yeah. on ball or the off ball it the other stuff works which is a huge positive yeah i i there is clearly a case and i mean the so one of the other guys that I had above him who went well below dyson daniels was aj griffin and griffin benefited in a way and sort of Keegan Murray sort of did too, where I watch a lot of film before I look at any stats. And like one of my notes with AJ Griffin is in all caps, so many hard shots. And then when I found out that he shot 
you know, 63% true shooting, 45% from three, 55% for two. You're like, well, damn, like he took a lot of hard shots, but they went in at a high rate. He has this weird lower body on his jump shot, and that could create some problems, but the upper body mechanics are pretty good. And it's gone in from what I, I know it went in in college, but I believe from what I've heard that it went in in high school as well. And so, yeah, have, the, have you have you heard uh, Matt Penny's comparison for AJ Griffin's lower body uh, with his jumper? No, it's like uh, Jeff Bagwell's. Uh, oh, I love that for a shooter. Yes, <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll I'll run by you the guy. So I think you were scouting then. This, I'm older than you, so I think about this way. Is, um, Griffin reminds me of of Eric Gordon to an extent as a prospect where I focused a lot. I was actually really low on Eric Gordon because I thought that his on ball, I was, I was like the on ball game's not going to work. The jump shots good, but are you, how are you going to really work that? And then defensively Gordon didn't apply himself a ton. And that's one of Griffin's many defensive problems, but the, I I've grown thanks to incidentally Eric Gordon and those Rockets teams to greater appreciate strength-based defenders on the perimeter. You don't can't, you can't use that in all the time and sometimes it just doesn't work, but it could and it's not going to work on the Hawks, but in certain circumstances you can actually wield that pretty well and I could see Griffin being a player who defends taller, stronger players better than you expect. And so maybe there's a way to make, you know, to that and just yeah. general improvement to make him more viable defensively. Yeah, you know, that's exactly what I wrote in the draft guide was I think AJ Griffin is going to be a much better defender of big players, of big wings, of, you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever you want to talk about with that. I think he's going to be a much better defender of big wings and bigger, you know, forwards than he is going to be anyone else yeah i mean guards aj griffin's listed at 6'6 220 (laughs) he's he's just a big he's a big dude for a 19 year old yeah totally actually he's not even 19 he turns 19 in late august yeah no he's yeah he'll turn 19 before his rookie year i was gonna say um yeah like he's just strong and thick and he plays very square i think he doesn't have great hip flexibility nope uh i think that he and part of this too like with aj it's got to be absolutely noted that you know he's dealt with injuries he's dealt with lower body injuries with ankle injuries um he had a knee injury coming into his season at duke that probably put him behind the eight ball a little bit like i i think that there are a lot of factors with aj that uh go under reported um in terms of maybe his athleticism will come back at some point but this this version of aj griffin is not one that i'm like wildly excited about it's it's AJ is a philosophical bet is something that I've said a lot. Yeah. Uh, if you want to bet entirely on his ability to shoot, I think he is genuinely elite touch. I think his shooting upside is behind only Jabari Smith in this class. Uh, Jabari, I think is a little bit higher just because the release points a little bit higher. And I think that it's going to be a little bit easier for him to get clean looks and they have similar levels of touch. You could even say maybe AJ's touch is slightly better. Um, but AJ, it's just going to be hard for him to separate. He's going to take a lot more contested shots. But if you think the athleticism is going to come back at all and you trust your team doctors to say like, yeah, like we think we can like, you know, really open up this guy's hips. We can get him to maybe you know, have a little bit more shake. We can get him to play a little bit less squared off. Like there there are some real shooting tools there. Yes. Like there are some real uh, gifts that he has in terms of just his natural touch of shooting. Uh 
like his ability to I think because he plays so square, he's like always on balance, basically. Um, he's he's an impressive shooter. I, I worry about everything else. <laughs> I, I don't love the way he passes. I don't no. love the way he defends. I don't love um, much else with his game. But if you are someone that is genuinely just looking for an on ball scorer, a guy that, you know, uh, can knock down shots, a guy that uh, has upside to be a 20 point per game scorer. And that's what you value. I think there's a case for AJ Griffin, like five in this class. I also think of Griffin as somebody who has some of the connective tissue that if an advantage is created for him, it could work out pretty well. And Ben Matherin is is similar. And that's why I ended up with those guys in the same tier was I'm not sold on either one of them. Like confidence, possibility. Sure. Confidence. Not quite that they can create those advantages, but they're both good shooters. So they can do the catch and shoot. But then if a guy's closing out hard, then they can do two dribbles and a good decision. Yes, I, I, I'm, I believe that that will be possible. Can you, you know, do you want to run the offense through them as a starting player? Probably not. That's okay. You don't have to. But I have a game I want to play with you. I figured out how I want to do the rest of the draft. Um, oh, this is beautiful. Okay, so we'll do each bracket of ten. So it'll be ten to nineteen, twenty. So the the numbers that's the start with that. So it's not going to be you know eleven to twenty. I want you to give yeah, me yeah, yeah. your favorite. It could be your favorite, you know, like the guy that you had highest on your board, but or player, like the one that stands out to you, player team combo, you know, I'm giving you license there. And then and we'll dwell more on that. And then also you can note your like kind of least favorite, like the one that the one that doesn't that doesn't interest you, please you, whatever you want to do. So we'll start with yeah. we'll start with ten to nineteen. Favorite and least favorite. Okay, so I don't know that this one's my favorite. I will say that I think it's the most interesting. Uh, the Knicks trading three first round or uh, the Thunder trading three first round picks for Usman Jang to the Knicks is interesting to me. Uh, and I think we should talk about the Knicks draft night in general. I think I was not quite as low on it as the rest of the world seemed to be. Uh, I liked like nine or ten guys in this class and all of those guys were off the board by the time 11 got there. And look, like I, I shouldn't just say that I liked, you know, 10 guys. Like I like Jalen Williams who went the next pick. I like um, AJ Griffin on some level, you know, Jake LaRavia at 19 was one of my favorite prospects in the class, but like it's at number 11. If you could tell me in a relatively weak draft, I could pick up three first round picks for that pick. I am taking it every day of the week. I think, I liked a lot of the Knicks arbitrage too. I th- and it, it, I've had that feeling for a number of these kind of Leon Rose and Perry led groups where they've they've kind of made decisions on like you could think of it as a pick value chart that I thought were were very good. My concern with some of it is just that some of the picks they got are they're so protected that they don't have a lot of equity. Where it's like the the picks from Detroit and Washington, there's a chance that they're like late teens and late teens. You can get good players there. You just brought up Jake Laravia. Like you can, you, there, there are players that you can like, but you did get three of them. So there, there is some benefit there. They, they ended up, you know, kind of moving one of them in, in all of the other transactions that they made. And for me with the Knicks. Well, yeah. I, can, can we then talk about least favorite pick, sure. uh, moves then? <laughs> the Knicks moving pick number 13 for uh, basically to get off of the Kemba Walker deal. It, it, essentially, the way that it works out is that they move four first round or four second round picks to get off of the Kemba Walker deal. But those picks might end up being fairly valuable. Right. The, 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 the margin between some of those seconds and some of those firsts is narrower 
than some may think. Right. Right. Like if it was me, I would have just moved, you know, the first rounder plus the four seconds, kept 13 and taken you know, Jalen Duran, AJ Griffin, Tari Eason, whatever player du jour that you want. I think that that would have been a better use of assets than what the Knicks actually did with that second. And on, and on that front, Kemba Walker, he's only making 9.2 million next year. This is, and you don't, it's still at least conceptually nebulous that they're, the Knicks are going to have that space. And I don't think if the Pistons, you know, the Pistons didn't take Kemba Walker, it's going to be impossible to move him if you end up getting Jalen Brunson or whatever, totally. and other point guard. And you still have to make those other moves. So maybe you could coalesce some of that stuff and use the asset, the draft equity that you gave up there. You do run into the problem if you're keeping 13 that you're driving the car off the lot. But I also think if you're going to give up 13, maybe you make Detroit take on more. Maybe, it, you know, that could yeah. be Burks or Noel or something else. Because I don't, my expectation right now, knowing what I know, is that the, the extra moves that the Knicks need to make are considered positive, sa- are like those guys are positive salary, especially with the surgery that Alec Burks had. So if you have a little bit of leverage, you can do that, or maybe you get a little something from the Pistons. So I'm I'm on board with that, and it's hard for me because I haven't I, I didn't watch film on a lot of the players in that area, but I agree with you conceptually. Yeah. Um. So that that that's but let, like let's talk about just like one other team here, right? Because we just spent a bunch of time on the Knicks. Overall, I am like I think the Knicks did more well than they did poorly sure. on draft night. Is where I'm at. Um, because I loved the Jang deal, the Jang deal uh, a bit more than what many did. Um, we talked about the AJ Griffin deal. I, I, I really liked Tari Eason's game. I had him at number, I think, 12 on my board. Uh, him go, going 17, it's going to actualize a lot of what Houston did. I, 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 I watched I watch Eason, incidentally, with his now teammate Jabari Smith. I watched an LSU Auburn game deliberately, and I liked Eason quite a bit just from that. Okay, yeah. you ready to move um, from, you're ready to move to 20 to 29? Yeah, so some interesting ones here. In terms of value, my favorite was Ty Ty Washington to Houston, but we talked a lot about Houston already. I love the fit of Christian Brown in Denver. I absolutely love it. Uh, he is a good shooter. He's not a great, great shooter. He's a good shooter. But he's six foot seven, jit athlete. Uh, he is a phenomenal defender on closeouts, and he's a phenomenal scramble defender. He has great balance. He's been taught terrific fundamentals in that regard. Uh, I think that he's going to be able to play a rotational role immediately for Denver this year, and this is a team that just needs as much backcourt help as it can get, in my opinion. And that just needs rotation players. I mean, you don't, you never expect that from a first round pick, yeah. especially one in the twenties. But it would be great. It would be great if they could get it. I want to ask you briefly. I don't know if this is going to be your pick about the Spurs loading up on seems like two guard primary guys. And I mean, Primo last year. Then you could add in Malachi Branham this year, and they had an, oh, and Blake Wesley. So they took Blake Wesley. Yeah. yeah. And so I, we don't need to got into those guys too much as possible. Do you think any of them can slide to the three? And do you think that there's enough overall kind of like it's enough because you and I have talked so much about wings, but I always think of that as more like three, two, three, four or three, four more than two only, but maybe Branham, you think that he can defend threes or same thing with Blake Wesley. Well, the problem with Malachi is he can't defend anyone right now. Mm. Um, Maybe at some point he'll be able to defend threes once he gets stronger, but like he's not super strong through his lower half at the moment. Um, 
Yeah, I think it's fine. Like the thing with both of these guys is that Blake Wesley is someone that has a questionable shot. The Spurs have had really good success with guys that have had his issues before. Uh, Malachi Branham, part of the reason he fell from when it was expected that he would go, you know, eight to 14, let's say when he entered the draft is he did not work out well for teams. Uh, his shooting had kind of abandoned him. I'd heard some rumblings that like, he kind of tried to extend his shot out by like pushing it outward. And the results had been mixed early in his career thus far, uh, as a professional. Now, he hit 45 from th- uh, the field this year, 37 from the field. He hit 43 from three this year. He has great touch. I think he's going to shoot it. Like, I'm not worried about him long term. But I think the Spurs will get the most out of him. I'm comfortable with what they did. I, I-, I think I was a little bit lower on Branham than- and Wesley than what the consensus was. But if I was, like, reordering them based on the fit that they went to in terms of their team, I'd probably bump them up a little bit because I think that the Spurs have done a good job with the specific um, issues that both of these guys have presented thus far. Any well, – I don't want to dwell on it, but what, what was the kind of – the sticking point pick from 20 to 29 for you? Yeah, there were two, and it's 22 and 23. So – I'm I really like what Minnesota did in general to move 19 for 22 and 29. I think that the idea of getting two guys that are in the same tier as opposed to one guy that was in the same tier for the same asset that you were going to expend is super smart. And I think that Tim Connolly did a really, really good job throughout draft night of maneuvering across the board. I also love their second round picks of Matteo Spagnolo and Josh Minot. I don't understand what Tim's obsession is with getting another center to pair with Carl Towns. Do you? I think there's an idea. Cause like, so I, so I will say again, like about Clint Capella and there have been rumors yeah. like, so, you know, about other centers and now they've drafted one. They, so, dra- they drafted. Yeah, so I, 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 I sort of do. And the, here, here's the full pitch. The Timberwolves have enough juice offensively that they should be good. They should be good there anyway. And the idea is basically the mar- it is harder to make marginal gains on defense if you don't have room protection that you trust. Then maybe they just don't think Carl Anthony Towns is going to get there. And, and considering they played with Jared Vanderbilt and everything else last year, it's actually better to get that from a center-sized player than it is from a power forward-sized player. As, as much as I've loved Jared Vanderbilt since he was in high school, it's just... Walker and Walker Kessler, some of the defensive film, like because I watched him as I watched Jabari, was very tantalizing. You know, when I wasn't watching film for him, I'm just like, oh, damn, look at Walker Kessler. And I, you know, he has some decent touch. I wish he had a more projectable jump shot. You know, you're the dream here is, as always, Miles Turner or somebody, you know, in that in that line. But the sales pitch is if you need to devote a single player to getting your the let's say the dream here is your defense being 15th or crossing your fingers 10th then the easiest way to do that with Towns and Edwards as focal points is not with a wing it's not with a power forward it's with the center okay yeah I buy it more now I I, I think that's a reasonable one the one that I'm confused about is David Roddy though at 23 um I actually do buy Roddy offensively like I think he can shoot I think that he is really good feel I think that he has a chance to make it work on that end I have no idea who he guards and for Memphis to move off of DeAnthony Melton in order to acquire David Roddy is something that I was a little bit confused about at the end of the day yeah, that makes some sense to me. I will have further thoughts later. Let's go thirty-one to. And, or and sorry, for what it's worth. I, I just to, just to reference, like I had David Roddy at like sixty-two. Ooh, wow. Um, yeah, it, but look, like Memphis sticks to their board. I think that 
it's funny because Memphis in general has a very similar thought process to me uh, in the draft. Like they loved Xavier Tillman. They loved Brandon Clark. They loved um, they really liked Jaron Jackson. Like they liked um, Jake LaRavia, obviously, who they traded up for, who I have been talking about the entire year. Um, they liked Zaire Williams. I loved that fit for them last year. Um, but when they go off board, they really fucking go off board. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so let's go 30 to 39, 30 to 39. Yeah. Let's talk Jaden Hardy. Uh, I, Jaden Hardy is the only guy I think like in my top 23, maybe that didn't go in the first round. Uh, I think that his last month and a half of his season with the Ignite was very good. And I think that people kind of wrote it, had wrote, written him off already because the first three months were so bad. And I think that he showed real genuine growth throughout the course of his time with the Ignite. And I think that he presents a really interesting potential insurance policy for them uh, on Jalen Brunson. Uh, he is a legit combo guard who can score at a high level. He has to defend. Like, I, I don't like him at all on defense right now. But I do think that his craft, his handle, I think playing next to Luca will help because he won't have the ball in his hands as much. He'll be just told, hey, go get buckets. I thought that the Ignite were much better when Dyson Daniels ran the show last year than when Jaden Hardy was tasked with having the ball in his hands. I think that when Hardy is asked to and when his mind is dictated toward passing um i think he's a much better passer and playmaker uh yeah i I liked the Jaden hardy pick quite a bit for dallas as somebody who was more familiar with him as a highly regarded high school player and then saw him that little bit in the ignite i was surprised hardy fell as far as he did and i have this general concept that if somebody's a very highly regarded high school player now that high school is pretty well scouted and evaluated i would roll the dice on those players in the late first i think more often and there, if there are specific issues like this, is actually a parallel with Patrick Baldwin, somebody who I was, I also did, you know, the, the years that we didn't get to go to the hoop summit and stuff, that really sucks because I would have had much more definitive feelings on some of these players, and but we don't instead. But yeah, that that's interesting with with him. Any 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 briefly on the negative side? I have no idea. I don't understand the Khalifa job thing. I don't understand why he's someone that people wanted to invest in. Okay. 40 to 49. Like I, I had them like in the late 60s. Basically. Okay. Um, I, I didn't, I just didn't really understand it. You, you know, um, I, you know, I like focusing more on the positive than the negative. So we'll, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. Like it, it's, it's fine. You know, look, like EJ Liddell is interesting. EJ Liddell's like a great guy to get at 41. Uh, I almost think that these picks are a little bit more interesting to discuss though, in the terms of like, you know, what, what does it say about certain organizations like Memphis taking Vince Williams is like the most Memphis pick in the world to me. Uh, I liked Vince. I think I had him at like, I had him as like one of my priority two ways. Uh, I would imagine he's probably gonna be on two way for Memphis. And Um, and because he's, he was a four year senior, (laughs) four year senior, great shooter, great statistical, um, numbers, uh, in terms of block and seal rate. I don't think his footwork is all that great. I think he's going to struggle to defend perimeter players a little bit more than what people think in the NBA. Um, or at least than what his proponents think, but he is really tough. He's really long. He's six foot six and seven foot span. Uh, and he can shoot. So that's good enough. And he guards up the lineup pretty well. 
it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being something. Um, I, I liked Vince quite a bit. Uh, I liked Ryan Rollins for the Warriors. I had Rollins at like 32 on my board. Um, yeah, it really fits in terms of creative mindset. And what he needs to do is really shoot the ball. Uh, and, you know, Golden State will actualize him as a shooter at some point, I think. I, I didn't really dislike any of the picks in this range either, nice. I guess I'll say. Excellent. Whatever. You're at, you're at, like, do, did I have a high grade on Musa Diabate? I did not. But, like, you know, you're taking a flyer in the second round sure. on what will likely be uh, two ways. So, do you want to give fine. the one sentence sales pitch for Josh Minot because John Hollinger is in here? <laughs> oh, my God. I, I've been surrounded this year by Josh Minot stands between Hollinger and Matt Penny. Um, it's, it's been crazy. Yeah. Minot's a great athlete, six foot eight, you know, um, makes things happen out on the court. I I think he's a project offensively in a real way that, uh, I don't think anyone will guard him in the NBA right now, but I get it based off of defensive tools for sure. Then let's do, let's do only the positive 50 to 58, 50 to 58. Uh, I know you said you liked Spagnolo, but there might be somebody else. Yeah, I do like Spagnolo. I do like his creativity. Six foot six. I think guys that are this big and have this intersection of skill tend to be potentially successful uh, players. Um, yeah, I mean, like, yeah, Jabari Walker, I think, was one of the few guys in this range that I actually had a guarantee grade on. He and Spagnolo might be the only two. So um, Jabari Walker is like an interesting uh, athletic, you know, four man who I think guards well and has potential to shoot it. And anytime that you're six foot nine and you guard well and have potential to shoot it, you have at least a chance to stick. Got it. Well, we have spent we have spent a lot of time. I don't want to take any more from you. So. Normal people keep the world going, but those who dare to be different lead us into tomorrow. Thank you, Sam. A A one one of in. Shout out, shout out, Danny. Shout it out, baby. You gotta love it. Uh, thanks, Danny. I appreciate it. Thanks again to Sam Vicini for taking the time to come on. You can read his excellent work at the Athletic. You can also listen to the Game Theory podcast that he does. I am a I am an infrequent guest, though I am technically the first guest he ever had in terms of that, which I, I hold in a place of honor. And you can also, if you somehow don't already, follow him at Sam underscore Vecini, S-A-M underscore V-E-C-E-N-I-E. Love having him on and happy he got a couple days off. That's why this got, I talked about in kind of the open about... We got we did a little bit of delay. He got to take the weekend off. Much deserved. I will at some point have a similar luxury, though that point is, of course, not right now. If you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do it. You can subscribe, download every episode in whatever podcast player you prefer, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. That will be a big help because Real GM Radio will never come out on a specific day. You can tell that because the Caitlin Cooper episode came out on Sunday and then this one came out today. So it'll shift around like that depending on my availability and guests. You can also help other people find the show. That is through word of mouth or through leaving a rating review in the aforementioned podcast player. But the most important thing you can do for Real GM Radio and any other show that has them is to check out our sponsors. And so that is betonline.ag. Use that CLNS50 promo code to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit and to tell them you came from us. Much appreciated. You can also check out my other work, Dunked On, Dunked On Prime, still going strong. The mock-off season was recorded on Monday. I believe parts one and two are both out. I don't even know if there's a third part. I can't remember how many Nate's splitting it into this time, but it was a load of fun and a really great exercise. My teams were actually very active, which is fun. Sometimes I have some of the more quiet ones because I'm doing some of the logistical work, but really enjoyed the experience as I always do with Kevin Pelton 
Dan Feldman and Nate. You can also check out my written work at The Athletic. I did a Q&A on Kyrie Irving and the Nets that came out on Tuesday morning. You can check that out. And then I will, of course, have work throughout the early stages of the offseason there. And I consult on other stuff. So you can say you're supporting me by being a subscriber of The Athletic. If you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to get it to me. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. That is an absolute promise. I may not reply. I do the best I can, but my promise is to read it. That's why I call it feedback, not, I don't know, something that isn't feedback. But that is enough for now. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day. 